I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas. Ice House is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous, and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980. And each week, we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book. And Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, the podcast. I'm Paul Verhoeven and I am sick as a dog. Dad, uh, one of the good things about recording remotely is you can't catch whatever I have, although I know it's not, I know it's not COVID, I know that much. Well, that's good, Paul. <clears throat> I'm feeling great. Good. I'm, um, just for the listeners, benefit, mm. it's possibly the well, it could be the first time we've ever recorded after after lunch. Although yeah. you know that that's just a metaphorical term for me, because you know that I fast. Do you? Yes. Hmm. So, um, <laughs> thank you for feigning shock <laughs> and amazement. But yeah. I love I love talking about fasting. Mm, I know. Well, thankfully we're not doing that this episode. But hmm. uh, one thing you will need to do is because I sound like basically just an armpit with the face i think the best look as long as people can accept the fact that yes i sound bad but you know my brain's working just i don't think you sound bad and bad is a relative term i haven't been sick for years and years and years my immune system's very robust uh, and now it's just decided to cave so uh but that's not what this episode's about we are doing a blow-by-blow, chapter-by-chapter breakdown of my book loose units and chapter 26 is the one we are looking at this week uh, it is called They Stole the Money, You Stole My Heart. Part of the reason I like this chapter is because uh, I guess it's got a relatable level of hubris on your part. Does uh, it agree mm. of showing off there? Would you agree with that appraisal? I must concede on this particular occasion. Mm-hmm. But Paul, I think we may have discussed this before, but you've got Christine using the F word. Yeah. And I think we need to put it out there to all the listeners. That in almost 40 years of marriage, mm-hmm. I may, I stress the word may, yeah. have heard Christine use the F word possibly once. 
I've heard her use it once. I was um, actually, we were at your apartment and we were having a drink and she was actually just starting to talk about the police stuff. I had just kind of twisted her arm a little bit and she and she dropped an F-bomb on me. Well, I, I'm in shock. Yeah, it was weird. It didn't feel... No, but you've, you've actually got Christine in this chapter using that word. And that's, I know that that's called artistic license. Mm-hmm. Do you know if I, nowadays... Is it nowadays or nowadays? I think it's now. I think it's nowadays. But you say nowadays. Now, okay. shit, I'm overthinking it now. Nowadays. Hmm. Nowadays. So nowadays, um, <laughs> I actually, I've got to be quite frank with you. Yep. Even though my name's not Frank, I kind of like women swearing. Uh, I like it. In what respect? I think it's an egalitarian um, world we live in. Are you saying there was a point where it was regarded as improper for women to swear and you think it's kind of nice when they do? Yeah, I, I, and it's kind of, it's kind of, I mean, you know, have you ever heard that tape by the Dalai Lama where he uses the F word? No. Are you serious? I didn't know he swore. I didn't know oh, he swore. it's so wonderful. It's a very, very famous um, recording mm-hmm. of, I don't know why I'm saying the F word. I mean, I never, ever say that. I just say fuck. But what he does, he uses the word fuck in about mm. 15 different situational sentences. To what end? Meaning that every single time he says it, it has a different meaning. It's so wonderful. Right. Okay. Anyway, I digress slightly. You do slightly, but that's kind of what we do here on those units. But mm. um, one of the reasons I wanted to you know, really dive into this chapter, Dad, is because it does have a young man trying to impress a girl. That is a very relatable thing. Yep. Uh, now, I really don't want to kind of rush this story. So what I will do is I'm going to dip into the, uh, to the chapter and read you an excerpt, and then we'll move from there, okay? Mm, wonderful. All right. So I'm going to read you an excerpt from the chapter right now. So they, they, Okay, so just to set things up, over the past few chapters, we've had John and Christine sort of moving pretty fast. So that's where, we, that's where we've left off here. So they agreed a second time to make a real effort not to rush things and not to make things public. This was a pretty easy sell to John in private, all loved up with Christine staring into his eyes, but North Sydney Police Station only had a few women working in it. After arriving at work the following Monday, resolve well and truly steeled, John quickly became aware that this wasn't going to be easy. He noticed that almost every single man working there was either making eyes at Christine or outright propositioning her. Once, he even went to butt in, but she gave him a look that could puncture a tyre, so he stood back and let someone else chatter up. They were, however, rostered on together the very next day. John figured he'd finally have a chance to show Christine how restrained and mature he could be about all of this. He wouldn't bring up the topic of them being an item, he wouldn't show any jealousy regarding the primates who fronted up to her every 20 minutes, and he wouldn't make any moves on her while in uniform. Now, could you please take it from there? It was definitely a weekday, Mm -hmm. because this story involves a bank. And banks, back in the 1980s, were only open Monday to Friday. Even in big cities? Big, big cities. Okay. The biggest cities. The biggest city in Australia, uh, which is actually Sydney. Yep, yep. Followed by Melbourne. Yep, not the best though. And then it's all downhill from there. Yeah, all right. Um, and they worked relatively short hours mm. because you had all these clerks with those little finger things, finger stoppers. What do you mean? Fun- well, when they're counting the notes. Oh, little rubber things? Those rubber little- things. Right. Yeah. 
and they'd wear it and they'd yeah and and they'd um you could make them by just cutting the ends off ansel rubber gloves but they were actually supplied they were and some of them had little dimples on them I don't feel like the, the finger rubber thumb thing is really the kind of trucks of this story. But I um, agree. Mm. But um, I'm just I'm just going with it. Just building it up. Okay. <laughs> it had been raining the night before, mm-hmm. and I thought I thought I was an okay driver. Right. I'd successfully completed advanced driving in my teen years. I'd been yeah. a bit of a rat bag. I'd been mm-hmm. on lots of rallies. I'd, I'd done a lot of off road work. I'd ridden bikes. Um, I kind of you know, I, and I love a bit of adrenaline. And I've got to be very honest with you and the listeners to say that I also had a desire to show my driving skills to Christine. Right. Um, And bearing in mind that the speed of the police cars back then on general duties during a normal day-to-day patrol was around about 30 kilometers an hour. That's not very fast. And that's the speed you would be going if you were doing the thing that we've talked about before. cruising. Fishing also. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Could you just um, just give us a refresher on what fishing is? Well, can you imagine if you just drove around on patrol at 60, 70 kilometers an hour? You just wouldn't uh, say anything. You would pass any wrongdoing quite fast. And, and, and a lot of the, the crims that were doing break and enters between, generally speaking, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., as we've outlined many times before, were mm. always in the side streets, but never too far away from the main road. Why is that? Uh, well, because more cars, right? No, because they didn't know the area. Oh, of course. So they're just going to take the, the main kind yeah. of arterials. They're not going to... Correct. And if they get caught, if mm. the police happen to, by chance, come upon them in the act of committing a, uh, an offence, i.e. break, enter and steal, yeah. they can hot-foot it because they'll generally have a, a driver. Yeah. In fact, there are a couple of really interesting things, Paul, that... Mm. A lot of people don't know, but good break-and-enter merchants, isn't that funny we used to call them merchants as though they were members of a sort of an elite sort of trading sort of Dutch colonial group like a guild of, you know, hatted traders dealing in tea and spices. But that's how they were referred to. It's an almost sort of an honorary title. But why, I mean, what are they... Because a merchant sells things. I guess if you well, go to, if, if you they take do. your purloined goods to a fence and then you yeah. kind of have to sell them. Cor- yeah. Correct. But but I remember when we had numerous break and enters. So when Christine and I were in the police force in the 80s, yeah. you recall we lived in a block of units in DY. Tanami Heights, Tanami Flats, yep. Tanami. Yep. 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 And pretty well every single apartment had been broken into. And one day, one fateful day, Christine virtually caught these heavy, heavy crims. They'd just done a break and enter in our building. Right. And Christine dashed out and grabbed the rego and a full description of the car. By the time the police, who were very, very keyed into this, because it, it was a notorious gang yeah. committing thousands, their MO was exactly the same. And within minutes... They had the car pulled over. Not one of the stolen items was in the car. Hang on. What? Yeah. That's how quickly these guys work. They have a fence, mm-hmm. a middleman. So, yeah, explain what a fence is for the listeners. Okay, so if you if you go and buy stolen, or let's say you, you go and do a, you commit a uh, break-in or a steal. You go into the house. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to make this sort of a how-to manual on how the crim works, but I'm going to explain to people uh, how they do it. And it's pretty basic getting into a place. That that's a no-brainer. There are many ways of getting into a house because not ev- there are many ways of getting into a house because not everyone is so aware or can just leave windows, doors. You know, they think, oh, no one can climb up ten feet. But the first thing the break and enter merchant does when they get into the place is they check their um, egress. They, what does they that check mean? a way of how they're going to get out if the shit hits the fan. So break and enters are not always committed, like sexual assaults. Sometimes they're committed whilst the occupants are inside the flat ah, or the house. Yeah. Not not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Imagine if a family's engrossed in a um, particular show on, let's say, Netflix, and, and it's really getting to a really great sort of point in the film and there's just absolute concentration. Not uncommon for crims to come in, see that the family are engrossed in a TV show, and go and just ransack the rooms, albeit quietly, but they know exactly what they're doing. So the first thing that a good crim will do, they'll find out where a travel bag or a big suitcase is. They'll Mm -hmm. lay it out on a bed, generally a double bed. They will then begin scouring. Now, they're working by the clock. Now, like people that are bankers and teachers and doctors and street sweepers, we all know what we're going to do that day, generally speaking. If there's an emergency, you're a fire, an ambo, you have these entrenched protocols through mm-hmm. vast training. So do the break and enter merchants. They know exactly what they want. And they're working very, very quickly. And don't for one minute imagine, listeners, that you can outsmart someone that's broken into your home. They know where the gear is kept. They they just it's intuitive because after all, they are human. In fact, one could argue that they have developed a marvellous sense of how fellow humans think because they would go home, for example, and they live in dwellings and they would want to hide their booty, wouldn't they? So they go, where would I hide my Where would I hide it? And, you know, it's, it's almost sort of... And there are lots of really, really good crims, I say good, that would come into a house occupants in or occupants not home sometimes the occupants would come home and it would take them days weeks or months to realize that stuff had been stolen Mm. and in that building we lived in paul in darley road in manly we had a um a lady that lived um her name was michelle and they broke into her apartment and they stole a lot of very valuable jewelry Yes. which was concealed at the back of a cupboard and it took her weeks. It wasn't until she was going out one night she went to retrieve one of her rings oh, that shit. she so realised. Yeah, okay, okay. So they were so well hidden that she didn't even bother to check whether they'd taken it. That's right, because they just, okay. they, they, they're so, some of them are really tidy. I mean, some of them go in there like a sort of a, a tornado mm. and just throw things around and just <clears throat> go crazy. But... Um, so they, they, they get into the house and then they, uh, they, they steal the gear. But uh, some of the crims, what they do is they go out the front of the property. They yeah. either hop into a, uh, like a stolen car. Mm-hmm. They may have a driver. But sometimes within minutes, um, they meet up with the fence. That's the, the guy that will buy everything off them. So when and if they get caught, the original offenders, they, they've got nothing, no gear. So that's that's kind of 
clever. A couple of weeks ago, you were telling us the story, and it's in the book. Uh, the chapter's around track work. So yourself and Dunn pulled that carload of guys up and you said to me you were convinced they were either on their way to burgle someone hmm. or coming back from burgling someone. Yep, yep. Now, is it possible that they had already handed some stuff? No, they'd have money on them. Surely they'd have shitloads of cash. Nah, right? they, they'd meet up later just to, to, to settle. But okay. it's very important with stolen goods yeah. that they be moved on really quickly. Uh, and for example, um, tradesmen know this, that mm. all their tools that are very expensive, particularly power tools, yeah, you can sell those, you can offload those. And I hate to say it, listeners, but guess who's buying them? Other tradesmen. They're not being sold to, you know. <sighs> who else would need them? Who else would need high quality tools? Um, right. your, your home handyman is not going to buy a massive rotary hammer drill. That's right. worth about two and a half thousand. You're not going to get one for your, for your kid at Christmas. It's specifically right. being bought by by, so, oh. by tradesmen, and that might sound a little bit harsh. Yeah, but if you actually analyse what we're talking about, it's actually a no-brainer. Mm. Um, unfortunately, yeah. so there you introduce that that human element of greed and an opportunity, and the opportunity has arisen out of someone else's misfortune. Yeah. So that's that's um, that's the reality, and that's a fact of life. First of all, okay. So let's wind back a little bit. You were mentioning drivers, and you were mentioning uh, you know driving, and then mm. you mentioned you know the kind of getaway guy for a burglar. But we're going to get back to that topic shortly. Uh, what did you do on this particular day that was specifically so stupid or embarrassing? Well, I I, I just saw this as an opportunity. Um, we we had a um, a call came over the police radio VKG two beeps. Mm-hmm. Which, which sort of gets everyone, you know, really, really very attentive. Yeah. And it was for hold-up alarm, which is how it used to come across, and it gave yeah. a location in McMahon's Point near North Sydney Railway Station. I know the one, yeah. And we were about maybe four or five kilometres away. Mm-hmm. And you get a sense very quickly who's responding because lots of cars on the road. But, you know, the cars on the road might be involved in other incidents, if they're at another job for a hold-up alarm, they're not yeah. going to... Like, let's say they're at an accident. They're not just going to say to everyone at the accident, look, I'm sorry, folks, we're heading off to a hold-up alarm. That's not how it works. So VKG will say, 6th Division, um, any cars in the vicinity of the Commonwealth Bank, Blue Street, McMahon's Point, Yep, there's a hold-up alarm in progress. Uh, first car to advise. So, so the first person to get there senior. is statistically yeah. speaking, how often is that is that a false alarm, and how often is it real? Ninety-five percent of the time, it's a uh, a false alarm. But still, but you don't know that. Yeah, that's why in the city, whenever there's a um, like a fire alarm, yeah, and those people. And I think most people will be guilty of this, or if they're staying in a hotel, they hear the alarm go off. What do most people do? They don't leave Nothing. the building. Nothing. Particularly at all. if it's two in the morning in midwinter in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. How many people come out in their pajamas? No one. No. But why, how many? Why how is, many should? That's so. Oh. But people are very laissez-faire, and then all of a sudden they wake up to the smell of smoke. Yep. They come out. They're in the in the hallway. Flames everywhere. They run to the top of the building. Fly, the, the fire's making its way to the top with them. 
Yeah. I don't know what they're expecting. Are they expecting a helicopter to come by and just pick everyone off? I mean, are they... Look, it's it's the way. That's so, that's what happens. You become slightly um, apathetic, blasé. That's why two fire engines in Sydney or any, any city or town, two, two fire engines respond to every alarm because it's an AFA, an automatic fire alarm. But occasionally it's... Yeah, it's an AFA set off by, guess what? By smoke and fucking heat. Yeah. So, same thing with a robbery. And... So Christine and I, Christine grabs the radio and says six, whatever we were, six three, six five, responding. They go thanks six five, um, and we're 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 off. Um, and I kind of reached across something I shouldn't have done. That was the first mistake I made. That it's not my job to turn the lights and siren on. It's Christine. And if Christine says to me, because sometimes if it's a really serious job, you might proceed. And it's a bit of a grey area in emergency services, but many times in the police force, we would respond lights only, no siren. And that actually makes good sense. Imagine if you're one of the offenders, you're in the middle of an armed robbery, you've got guns loaded, guns, shotguns pointed at staff, and you hear Mm. sirens, that can trigger a whole shitload of very, very bad consequences for lots of people. So was that uh, basically policy? Not it to... was kind of a protocol, Paul. Mm. And I'd like to know what the police force thinks about it now. The, the double-edged sword. Yeah. And here's the problem: if you barrel and kill a pedestrian, <clears throat> and they're on a pedestrian crossing, you're fucked. Oh, because they yeah yep that makes sense. Because they're going to go. Hang on a sec. You know sirens and lights in all emergency service vehicles don't give the driver permission it's not carte blanche mm. under the motor traffic act to just do what you like of course when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you find the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And if you go through a red light and you T-bone someone and kill them, which happened in Sydney, a highway patrol car, I think it was two years ago, was heading in a, um, a certain direction, saw a lady on her mobile phone. He's chucked a Yui on a major road and chased her and he went through a red light. Think about this. He's chasing a woman who was using a mobile phone. Mm. On the way to trying to catch up to her, he went through a pedestrian crossing. Uh, sorry, through a, a, a red light and he killed someone. I mean, that's just... That's why the public tend to get a little bit, you know, a little bit pissed off about these situations so paul you're heading to an armed robbery in progress you think it is it's an alarm but you're yep. thinking you know is it real i don't know um i've been to a hundred the last hundred were were not real but then again every now and again something horrendous pops up you have a hostage situation there are numerous things so at a certain point you can decide to turn yep. the siren off uh-huh. um in fact i recall working and vkg occasionally would put an announcement like a message over the radio saying all cars proceeding to a certain type of job might be a siege yep no sirens oh so they tell you not they to. tell okay. they tell us but then the, there's a lot more onus on the driver mm. to be incredibly you know just really really drive safely and, and it's a fine line between driving safely carefully being aware of everything happening but also um you're also thinking about the fastest best way to get to this particular job in in light of depending on what time of day it is most armed robberies occurred in the afternoons for obvious reasons and that being that there'd be, that's when there was a lot more cash on the premises right and um so and it was a fair drive from Cremorne to McMahon's point, mm. and you know Christine's the senior person. She has the the right to completely control as best she can uh, the way <clears throat> in which I drive. And if she thinks I'm driving, believe you me, I, I have driven as the junior man with police that just basically they they tell you to slow down. Yeah. And some police uh, would tell you to speed up, so go go faster. That is something interesting and is worth revisiting, and that is the fact that, yes, you were uh, the junior man. Mum was, you know... So, as a junior man, you are driving, and we need to reestablish that. Mm. The junior person Always. drives. Yep. Always. And the um, senior person directs. Correct. And Unless, of course, occasionally, which used to really kind of... Because I loved driving... I really, I really enjoyed driving. I, I, I still, to this day, love. I actually love driving, and occasionally you'd get a, like a sergeant that hadn't yeah. been on the road that much, and he would mm-hmm. say, um, "I'm driving," and that was surreal. Oh, so they're allowed to? They just oh, don't. They're senior. They can okay. do what they like. So they drive because they like to sort of keep keep their hand in, which is fair enough. Okay. Um, and some of them were ex-highway patrol um, officers. 
mm-hmm. and one of my best friends in the police force. He was ex uh, Highway Patrol, yeah. and I'll tell you what, we're talking next level driving uh, at a, at, a, at a standard. From my recollections, uh, one friend in particular that there's no way I could drive the way he did. Yeah. I mean, he was he was brilliant, but he was also at one stage he was the commissioner's driver. Right. So you can imagine the level of, of expertise. So we're heading down to this job and it had been raining. Um, in fact, what I might do for the listeners sometime in the next few weeks, mm-hmm. if I'm over that way, I'm going to stand and photograph because the event that, un, sort of, that came to fruition that day, um, it had been raining um, the night before and I came round from the Pacific Highway um, and, I, and I really fanged it and I, Christine wasn't saying anything because she's also thinking about her role as the, as the responding first officer about mm. she's got certain things that, that we have to do. One of the most important things about going to an urgent job because you don't know whether it's real or not the onus on the first responding vehicle, be it the fire brigade, ambulance, or police force, uh-huh. the very first thing you have to consider is to get some facts back to your radio to let other cars know that it's a false alarm. Because if you think about it, yeah, these cars are coming in from, from everywhere. And because it's McMahon's point, it's very close to the city. So what they do is they, they combine the city and North Sydney channels so that the city cars can also have an opportunity. Because if no cars are responding from North Sydney, they can then open the channel up and get cars from the city to make their way across the bridge. Yeah. Now, what's happening is that a lot of police are, are actually risking their lives to get to a job. And it's very important for first responder to be able to decide very quickly, yes, it's a false alarm get on the radio, then they can call all the cars off. And when they call all the cars off, they get every single one of them because they know who's responding because they've already got that written up because those cars acknowledged, they're written up. Then they get every single one of those cars to acknowledge that they've heard the instructions that they are no longer required. And then everyone backs off. But can you imagine going to a job, being the first responder, going in there and just getting involved in chit-chat and you can all of a sudden hear these sirens coming from across the, the Harbour Bridge and then you think, hang on a sec, shit, they're coming to this job and I'm here chatting with the manager and I'm just about to have a cup of tea. And you've got all these cars barrelling and, and some of them will be doing breakneck speed and some of the cars responding will invariably be highway patrol. Yeah. And, and they are made for speed. So... As we're coming around the corner, the adrenaline's pumping, but I'm ashamed to say this, um, Paul, that I just saw this as an opportunity to... uh, Show off. To show off to Christine. Mm. And I fanged it around this corner and I totally lost control of the police car. Shit. And we went into a 360-degree spin. There were, I would estimate, well, it's right outside a railway station entrance, exit, it's a very, very busy part of North Sydney. Mm. Um, I would estimate at least 500 people were watching. 500? Well, well, people come out of the train. It's a major, major business centre. Mm. It's a hub. It's a really busy railway station. It's 
10.30 in the morning, there's a lot happening in that area. There are, there's a lot of business, a lot of banks. It's, it's a really crowded area. It's, it's a, mm-hmm. People from the city come out into North Sydney. It's a major, major business hub. At least five, that's on both sides of the road. And what happens more so, dare I say it, even though today, I mean, every time you see a police car, ambulance or fire brigade, most people look at it, don't they? If it's under siren. Yeah. yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I already had a captive audience. I'm trying to impress Christine. Yeah. I tried to correct the, uh, the cars that began to lose control. And I oversteered and I completely through gross um, stress, panic, lack of experience. It was everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Yeah. And now in the cu- in in the book, I'm not sure whether this is for artistic license, you described the car as a Bentley, but it was actually a 7 Series black BMW. Right. Which is still a really serious motor car. More, more serious, more prestigious back in the 80s, I can assure you, um, where, it was, where, where those types of cars were fairly uncommon. And there was this driver just watching this spinning police car coming toward him, and it would have ended in—I mean, it could have been—it could have been catastrophic. I, I could have, um, well, I could have killed Christine. Um, I could have, um, you know, it could have been—we could have been trapped. There are lots and lots of things. But that um, didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. But then I had to. Christine was singularly, utterly, totally pissed off and unimpressed. Yeah, and thought. I can imagine what she was thinking, and I knew it. She didn't have to say it, and I just thought, well, I just didn't even want to be there. I wanted to shrivel up. And uh, but where were you physically at that point? Well, inadvertently, because of inadvertently, what I'd done is that I'd mm. actually spun the car out of control, and and basically, when Christine opened her door, she basically looked five meters in, directly in front of her, and that was the front of the bank. So I'd committed I'd committed a cardinal sin which was drummed into us from day one at the police academy mm-hmm. and it's just common sense and that is that you don't pull up outside a bank. What happens if um, they come out brandishing sawn-off shotguns and Christine cops a, a body full of um, pellets? So that would have been your fault? What, 100%. Mm. Without a doubt. And Christine, look, I put her life at risk twice. I put members of the public's life at risk. I put the guy in the BMW, he probably shat himself. (laughs) He was visibly shaken. Everything about this was not cool. And I think it's kind of, kind of cool in a way that I'm talking about it, that you, that I actually told you the story originally, Paul. Right. So it's not one of my best things. The real hero here is you. Is no, you. no, no. But you know what I mean. Like it's a big thing to sort of to admit to that. I mean, I could, I, I could never. I didn't have to tell you that story because it's. I a, know it's, it's terrible. It's yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. just bad on so many levels. Mm. But I guess the thing is that emergency service personnel that are listening to this podcast, be they in Australia or overseas, you know, they've all or a lot of them will probably have um, stories that are, you know, not dissimilar where. For whatever reason, they've kind of, you know, thrown protocols out and and perhaps were trying to impress um, a a fellow officer that, you know, maybe they were just had romantic feelings for or not even that, just two women working together, two guys working together 
maybe just two people just wanting to show the driver just wanting to show what a what a good driver he is and just making a complete cock up of it and um the good news paul is that it um it was a false alarm and uh and christine realized that day that um it was very very dangerous and uncool for us to work together she and I was a little bit surprised uh, she decided to put in for a transfer. So, I mean, here's something I've been thinking about. This is not me accusing you of anything, but why her and why not you? If she'd, if she'd been there longer and if she'd kind of, you know, had longer to kind of establish ties and build up stuff, whereas you're new, wouldn't it make more sense for you to transfer? Well, yes, but she... Um, applied for a transfer without telling me. Right. And as it turns out, Paul, she applied for a very, very exciting um, job that I won't mention yet. Right. But it involved a very, very uh, exciting section of the New South Wales Police Force. So this is something she wanted to do anyway. Yeah, I think she'd been thinking about it. She was already, you know, pursuing the plain clothes side of things. And, uh, you know, it's not... As though, uh, I mean, I didn't have a lot of experience and I, you know, I was still pretty green. Mm. And in fact, Paul, I was still in my in my first year of the New South Wales Police Force. And, yes. you know, I mean, I could have got a, a transfer to perhaps another station, but being at a head station or Sydney, I mean, the options were very, very limited. Gotcha. Okay. And I would then ha- have had to have spilt the beans. And say because they'd say to you, look, why, what, what, why do you want to transfer? What, what's wrong? I, I'd shown no signs of not being happy. In fact, the opposite. I, I, I loved every single day. I loved going to work. I just, I lived for the police force. I lived mm. for it. The, the, just the. I couldn't wait to do night shifts. I couldn't wait because they were the, they were just unreal. And if you got two police on a car, that were both keen and observant. And I got to work with a lot of very senior police, uh, a few that I still to this day think about that taught me how to be a good street police officer. And it's uh, it, it just doesn't happen overnight. Um, and when you worked with police that had been on the on on the road mm. for thirty years, they see things that mere mortals don't. And I just I just sometimes I could not believe the level some of these people were working at. It was as though, I guess to put it very simply, the baddies had sort of a a luminous glow about them and they could just see, like the Matrix. (laughs) But a lot of people just look out and just see, you know, numbers or whatever, but some people see beyond that. You're like like Neo is what you're saying. Yeah, and and they just see (laughs) things. And no, it's incredible. It's just... And it's 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 intuitive, and because mm. I'd been a bit of a psycho rat bag as a young kid, believe you me, I was, I was, pretty bad mm-hmm. as a young kid, and that gave me an edge. It truly did, because I had seen, um, and some of the the guys that went to my school, some of them were pretty heavy dudes, and some of the blokes that I knew at school went to jail and my father who taught at a really rough school on the northern beaches I mean that's a great yarn that we'll come to sometime in the future 
mm-hmm. about that ex-pupil of Dad's. That's we'll get to that a heavy, later, heavy story. Something I do want to say is that just just real quick uh, in closing. So you've got, you know, um, you learn something from everyone you work with, right? You mm. learn something from the from the senior man um, that you work across from. You pick up different things. What do you think you learned from Mum in your brief time working across from her as a cop? Um, how to remain calm, objective, mm-hmm. logical. As everyone knows, or not everyone knows, but I'm putting it out there, and that is that Christine is a woman of few words. So I can be blabbing on in a group situation, just crapping on. And then, and I kind of sometimes think that people are sort of, you know, glazing over slightly. But then if Christine decides to say something, she says it with great, um, you know, with great pur- purpose. Mm. And, uh, and she says she's, she is actually a woman of few words. So my point being that I learnt um, that uh, you know she um, she had a different style, but I think different styles of policing are also very important. And you know that I worked with Sue, yes, and she she was next level. In fact, I preferred working with Sue than working with dare I say it, quite a few of the blokes. There were a degree of men at North Sydney mm. Police Station that, I, quite frankly, that it was scary working with them. It was actually scary because they were actually not competent. And it was, it was embarrassing sometimes going out with some of these people. Right. So the sex thing really is not, not an issue, be them male or female. Mm. It was how, how they were, what, what type of, um, you know, how they... Um, how they projected themselves and, and, and how they they led by example. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the police force and emergency services, if you're working with a really good, strong, competent uh, senior person, they they make or break you. And in, in the fire brigade, uh, if you're working with a dangerous officer, they can kill you yeah. very easily. Or if you're working in the police force and uh, you're dating an officer and he's trying to impress you, he can almost kill you. Well, I think that the dating thing and working, yeah. com- combining that with 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 a level of danger, mm. is is a is a, a recipe for extreme potential disaster. And yeah, when gotcha. I say it's just absolutely, when I look back on it, I think. But but Christine, of course, being you know, dare I say it, not so much now, but back then, the sensible one, mm. she uh, she made made a call. And um, I remember when she told me, I, I was, I thought, shit, I've blown it. And she looked at me and she just said, look, you know, if we want this to sort of blossom, uh, mm. we can't work together. And we also wanted anonymity. We didn't want to tell the world. But things did continue to escalate as next week's chapter will actually, you know, lay out in pretty stark detail because one of the things about you guys is that your courtship was very quick. So next week... On Tuesday, you will hear about the next step in Christine and John's blossoming relationship on the police force in the 1980s. Thank you so much for listening to another red-hot episode of Loose Units, the podcast. I'm Paul Verhoeven, that's John Verhoeven, and we will see you uh, when? At the end of the week for an episode of Loose Ends. Stay frosty? Is that a thing? No, but I hope you get well soon, Paul. Thanks, Dad. I feel like crap, but I'm just going to go but, dunk my head in a humidifier. Anyway, you, you, you sound great, and um, as <laughs> usual, love doing the podcast with you. And oh, cheerio to everyone. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.